Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. When I say the sugar lifestyle, I'm not talking about the typical high-fructose American diet. I'm talking about the often financially-centered lifestyle of sugar babies and sugar daddies. Like this one, talking about some of the more subtle benefits of the sugar lifestyle. The nice thing is is that you're not going into this to get into a boyfriend-girlfriend type relationship. You're not looking at each other like, gosh, can I introduce him to my mother in the future, or my friends? Do I see this going long term? We don't worry about that. A sugar lifestyle researcher will walk us through what we're talking about when we talk about the sugar lifestyle. Plus, it's not always about sex. If you're real about just giving me money with no expectations, then buy me anything I want at Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> You'll also meet one very successful sugar baby who now teaches other women to embrace your inner sugar. I'm Kyone Wolf. That's coming up next on Audacious, right after the news. From Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford, this is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. I've said it before and I'll say it again. We love doing shows about audacious love. Whether it's marrying a spirit, a chandelier, a sex doll, or a platonic life partner, we get it. That love, that slippery thing, comes in so many forms, shapes, sizes, and bank accounts. The sugar lifestyle is what we're learning about today. And the one thing that I'm personally up against in this one is my relationship to money in the context of romance. Off the bat, it feels to me like if you mix in dollars, it somehow cheapens this most sacred thing called love. But what if I were dating someone and she never bought me dinner? Never picked me up a treat from the store or a souvenir from a trip. Money is not a barrier to entry for me, but can I honestly say that it's not a factor at all? Can you? In that case, what may I or we have in common with a sugar baby or a sugar daddy? Later, you'll meet a sugar baby who teaches women how to live this lifestyle super effectively. And you'll meet a man of means who loves being a sugar daddy so much that he started a podcast about it. And you'll meet a friend of mine who had a sugar daddy without the expectation of sex. But first, let's get the lay of the land with Shrishti Upadhyay. She's a graduate instructor at SUNY Buffalo's Department of Sociology, and her 2021 research paper titled Sugaring, Understanding the World of Sugar Daddies and Sugar Babies, was published in the Journal of Sex Research. So, okay, Shrishti, when we talk about sugar relationships, what are we talking about here? We're talking about an arrangement where you have essentially two folks getting into an arrangement where one provides intimacy, companionship. It could also include other forms of attention that would be based on the arrangement that they come up with in exchange for a variety of things that they would be getting in return, which could look like personal benefits that might be financial support for some folks. For others, it might look like material items. For others, it would be, hey, I want some professional advancement or I want some mentorship. So again, depending on folks, they will come up with an arrangement where there is one person providing, which would be a sugar baby, providing intimacy, different forms of attention. And then you would have a sugar parent providing financial support, mentorship, et cetera. I appreciate the sugar parent because we're taking the gender out of it. That's something we're yeah. up against in the show. Yep. <laughs> I want to ask, is this a new thing? But I have a feeling it's not. No. Um, sugar relationships have existed in different forms, what I've looked at. Uh, so um, in Japan or in Hong Kong, places like that, uh, you would have different terminology in Africa. There's different terminology being used. Compensated dating is one of them. Where you're being compensated for 
the girlfriend experience, for example, uh, some folks are referred to as that you might be providing. So again, compensated dating is another word. So yes, but using of apps or websites, that is more recent where we are seeing uh, sugar relationship more uh, being talked about now. Now, I imagine that every arrangement is as unique as the people involved. But broadly, are there categories of these relationships? I think it depends on geographically first where uh, folks are located. So their relationship might look different. You could have a sugar parent on the other side of the world, or maybe just if, if you're focusing on the U.S., somebody who's on the East Coast, but their sugar baby might be on the West Coast. So their arrangement on a weekly basis might look different versus when they meet in person. There are also folks who never meet their sugar parents in person. So they only have what would be like, maybe they're just doing video calls or what they would be like, hey, only text messages or talking or only pictures, Skype calls. So again, that would be a no in-person contact. And a lot of that happened during COVID and lockdowns too. So that arrangement would look different. So that would be one category. Those do no contact work. You would have folks that do contact work, but then would have different levels of like, these are my boundaries. These are my deal breakers, essentially. These are things I'm willing to do. And these are the ones that I might negotiate on, depending what that arrangement would look like. Others are more rigid. Some are more flexible. It varies so broadly. And some of the things you might not have even thought of exist within an arrangement. So again, that would look differently for different folks. So just be open to the idea that, hey, there is no one or the right way of having a sugar arrangement. You examined 90 sugar baby profiles and 108 sugar parent profiles on seekingarrangement.com. Uh, you also studied discussion forums and responses on letstalksugar.com. What I found interesting was one part of your findings, which said that both sugar babies and sugar parents describe techniques to mentally and emotionally distance themselves from being associated with the sex industry. I feel like the the reflexive response to sugar relationships is, well, what is the difference between that and sex work, especially if that relationship involves sex? So what is the difference between the two? Sex work, broadly speaking, sugaring specifically speaking, involves intimacy differently for different arrangements. So for starters, there's always intimacy. Again, there is emotional work that is done from sugar babies and so what we would say is sex work exists from a research perspective, but also from community members, those that work. Sex work is a spectrum. It could look like escort work to it could look like working at a strip club to it could look like uh, what we would broadly and um, uh, say burlesque, which is more looked at as an um, entertainment. Yes. Um, so labeling would be different. But again, it is a spectrum. It exists on a spectrum and sugar dating itself falls on that spectrum within providing intimacy, within providing different sorts of connections and conversation. Sex work itself is not always presence of physical uh, intimacy and sex, which we would call it. It could look like, so like talking to somebody. It could look like going on a date. What happens when you are on a dating app and you're looking for a romantic connection? Uh, when you go out on a date, the negotiations, where are we going to go? Where are we meeting? What time? Who is going to be paying the bill? These are conversations that a sugar parent and a sugar baby are having too. So would we label everybody going out on a date as being in a sugar relationship? Dunno. That's the question. <laughs> so if parents are guiding their children, giving them allowances, telling them what type of job to apply for, hey, meet my friend, you might be able to apply for an internship. Is that a sugar relationship? Is there intimacy involved? Is there connection involved? Is there mentorship and money and transaction involved? There's the question. So how do we understand this? I love these questions. The nuances, right? It's not so black and white, yeah. which sort of blows open the whole idea of what is intimacy? What is, what is reciprocity? What are we in it for? It really blows up in a lot of philosophical questions. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the beauty of it. And then you throw in technology in there. It's like, now we're talking, we might be video calling, we're on call, we might be sending pictures, Snapchats, whatever. How did we meet? Where did we connect? All of that, it's present in so many aspects of our life. So when we start looking at sugar relationships and trying to look at these nuances, we realize that 
a lot of us things that might be present in our everyday life, we just haven't necessarily labeled it or looked at it the same way as we do when we look at a sugar relationship because we have that preconceived notion and label attached to it already. So our perception then varies when we look at it and talk about it and also how we judge it. We love judging. Yeah, as humans, we can't help it. Right. I mean, judging is what got us to the top of the food chain. So no shade on judging, but to judge instead with compassion and context and with an open heart. I think that kind of judging is my favorite. Yeah, 100% agree. Well, Shristi Upadie, thank you very much for talking with me. Thank you so much. It was a great pleasure talking to you. Now, I want to introduce you to my friend Carrie from New York, New York. She's not using her last name, so her identity will remain mysterious, which suits her, actually, and also to not easily connect her to the person whom we're talking about, her platonic sugar daddy. She mentioned this story in passing a couple months ago, as one does, and I invited her back to my house in Hartford to tell me more about what happened. I think it was 2000. Eight-ish. And sometimes my friends and I would go on Craigslist misconnections and send each other like the funniest ones we could find. Also important to know, at the time I was working two full-time jobs and I wasn't poor, but I was very nervous about money. So I happened upon this Craigslist post and it said, are you a woman who wants to be spoiled and wined and dined and basically all this wonderful stuff? And it said, no, like, sex required. I just want to spoil you and take you shopping. Now, when you saw this posting, were you like, hell yeah, sign me up? Or were you just like, hilarious, that's funny? Like, what was your reaction to that? First, it was like, well, this is total bull because no man is going to post this and then not expect something in return. Second thought was, but what if it's not total bull? And third thought was, worth finding out. And so you uh, found out what happened. So I, I messaged him and I basically was very upfront. I'm like, look, I have no interest in being an escort much respect to sex work. I stripped in college, but that's just not a thing I wanted to be doing at that time. I said, I have no intention of dating you, kissing you, making out with you, anything. How is this for real? I was like, how are you not full of Just explain this to me. And he shockingly wrote back like a really thoughtful response. And it was basically like, I'm extremely wealthy, but I work so much that I don't have time to invest in, you know, like family and relationships. And I just want to spend my money making someone else feel good. I'd love to spend time with attractive women. Now, does he know yet that you are very attractive? No, but thank you. You're welcome. He didn't know what I looked like. We basically had like this very nice conversation back and forth to the point where I was like, I'm going to call his bluff. And I'm like, look, if you're serious, I said, I will meet you in a very public place at a very busy time. And if you're real about just giving me money with no expectations, then buy me anything I want at Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> oh, it's a real uh, aim and low there. Okay? I had low expectations. As you can see, I had never been wined and dined in any capacity. So low bar. And he, he lived in Springfield, Massachusetts, and he actually drove to Hartford and we met at a Dunkin' Donuts and he was so nervous. What did he look like? He was tall, fat, and I say that as a descriptor, not a criticism, beautiful blue eyes, full head of white hair, probably in his 50s. Not bad looking, but probably looked a lot better in his youth when he was taking better care of himself and dressed casually. 
So he comes in and he's nervous. He's nervous, like his hands were shaking when he shook my hand. Do you know if he had done this before? I now believe he has done this before, but I also believe in his other experiences, he was more intimate with the, the women. He buys me a bagel. <laughs> with everything, I hope. I'm like, can I have cream cheese? <laughs> I'm going to splurt. I'm going to need a large coffee. Let's see if this guy's for real. Yeah. <laughs> okay, here we go. And we're sitting across from each other at this tiny little Dunkin' Donuts table. And he's just like, oh, this is so weird. And uh, you are really, you know, pretty. And, you know, I understand your fear and everything. So he slides this envelope across the table. I don't look at it. I'm just like, okay, obviously there's money in here. I'm not going to be tacky and count it in front of him. Because I know the manners of doing this. Right. Like, what is the polite thing to do in this situation? Those are your instincts, Gary. My instincts. When I counted it after, it was either three or $600 cash. I just remember at the time, I was like, oh my God, this pays half my rent. And we continued to stay in touch. Wait, wait, wait. So how did that first meeting end? We hugged. He said, you know, can I see you again? I said, yes, in public again. And he's like, you know, you're a really interesting person. He actually talked a lot about his life and like some really sad things. And I just listened to him. And it very much struck me that he just needed someone to listen to him. Like he spent most of it talking about himself, which was fine. And so he was like, can we keep talking? Whatever, whatever. So, yep, totally. And we continued to have very respectful correspondences, but every so often he would slip into a flirtation that made me uncomfortable. Like he would send me, he would buy me clothes online. He would send me like Jessica Simpson brand platform six inch heels and say like, you would look so hot in these. Can I buy them for you? And I would send him back like like a comfortable work shoe <laughs> for like walking in the halls of the corporate America. I'd like these Merrells, please. Yes, I was like, no, but can you buy me these? And so what he would do is he would send me both. And um, when his flirtation got a little bit too out of hand, I would just say, I'm like, I'm not comfortable with that. And he would be like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I definitely think it was problematic, the fact that I had to continue to reestablish that boundary. At the same time, I was taking advantage of him too, in my mind. So if it meant that I, listen, in my everyday life, I, I'm having to reestablish boundaries with people, especially men. At least this guy was compensating me. <laughs> <laughs> Something that I keep coming back to as I think about the people in the position of power, and by that I mean the ones with the money. He has every right to say, this is how I want to use my money. This is how I want to spend my time, and this is the experience that I want. And I know myself, and that's I'm going to go for it. And so I feel like there is so much judgment and it's fun to play in that judgment. Like, doesn't doesn't he have a right? And don't you to say yes? The same way, if you want to give a person on the street asking for money money, they have every right to go buy beer with it. And in fact, in New York City, I have sometimes taken people into the bodega and said, pick out your beer. And sometimes they pick out milk instead. But the thing is, you're right. Like, we all get to spend our money how we want regardless of how we got it, unless it was through like fraud or whatever, then I hope we go to jail and like some people that should have. But yeah, I mean, who are we to say he should solve his problems in this very specific socially acceptable way? Who are we to say that? Carrie, thanks for telling me your story. Thanks for listening. When we get back, a sugar baby. 
who went pro. Plus, I mean, how much does a sugar daddy put aside for his sugar baby? A couple hundred bucks, maybe? My monthly budget that I allocate towards a relationship is about three to five thousand. Oh, I'm Kyone Wolf. This is audacious. Please, please stay with me. What you need a sugar daddy. Diamond rings and a brand new caddy. Little thing. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford Healthcare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford Healthcare. A lot of people struggle with sleep apnea and with CPAP machines. Dr. Carl Muller, a head and neck surgeon with Hartford Hospital, describes Inspire, a surgical alternative to the CPAP approach. Only about 60% of patients can tolerate CPAP real well. Inspire is a surgical alternative to CPAP. It's an outpatient surgery. It takes about two hours. And essentially what it does is it picks up when you're taking a breath and sends a two-second electrical pulse to the tongue, which causes the tongue to stick out a little bit and stiffen and prevent the airway from collapsing. Hartford Hospital has performed more than 200 Inspire therapy surgeries. If you tried and failed with CPAP, you could be a candidate for this minimally invasive procedure. Patients with moderate to severe sleep apnea are candidates. There is a weight criteria, so you have to have a body mass index below 35, and you have to have to have tried and failed CPAP. To learn more, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf, and today we're talking about the sugar lifestyle. You know, sugar babies and sugar daddies. Basically, consenting adults who factor money and sometimes gifts and travel and mentorships into their romantic relationships. Although they are sometimes platonic, which you heard about earlier in the show. Marcus is not the real name of my next guest, but it is the name he uses as the host of the podcast, Secrets of a Sugar Daddy. He joined me from Arizona to talk about how, after his 16-year marriage ended, he got into the sugar lifestyle. I actually enjoy helping people out, not only financially, but through mentorship, because I own multiple businesses, and I've seen a lot. And I found that there was a lot of people looking, a lot of women looking for someone to date that was older, successful, financially stable, somebody that could help them out and also that could mentor them. And that's kind of the beginning. And what happened was I joined a website where this was pretty much the premise of the website. And I started meeting all kinds of different people. And even if it wasn't a romantic match or there wasn't chemistry there, I still get something out of every single person I meet. And it became very pleasurable. And, you know, not only were my physical needs being met, but also my emotional and mental needs too. I think about somebody listening to this and they have no idea about the nuances and the depth of these relationships. And they think when you put money into it or resources, uh, gifts as a condition for these relationships, doesn't it take the magic out? What do you say to that? It can because the girls are now motivated financially. Basically, we're bribing them to talk to me, to go out with me. But as I've interviewed multiple sugar babies and, and women in this lifestyle, I found out that they've been offered large sums of money that they've turned down because there was not chemistry with that person. So it's not all about the money. I guess the kernel of it that I feel, so I'm 41 and I grew up in New England and I say that because I know different cultures raise you with different expectations about what love is, what relationships are, and the Disney promise, and maybe I will regret saying this, but that Disney promise is the love is unconditional. Right. But in these relationships, it is conditional. There's still love. There still can be deep affection and true love. But the fact that it begins at least and sometimes remains conditional I think maybe, do you think maybe that's where some people's brains sort of stop with all this? What we see a lot of times is 
the women get desperate, they get in a desperate situation. And so they'll turn to this form of dating because they need the help financially. So they will kind of put up with things that maybe they normally don't put up with. But the nice thing is, is that you're not going into this to get married. You're not going into this to get into a boyfriend, girlfriend type relationship. It happens, but it takes the pressure off, actually, oddly enough, of a, a traditional relationship. So you find yourself actually enjoying the date more, enjoying the dinner, the, the concerts, the movie, whatever you go do, enjoying just coming home and talking because you're not looking at each other like, gosh, can I introduce him to my mother in the future or my friends? Do I see this going long-term? We don't worry about that. You're, you know, everybody kind of still has that dream of finding their prince or princess. Well, you know, the dream that, that we've been sold. And I kind of figured out in my late twenties that maybe that's just a fantasy because a lot of my friends were chasing that and they got married young and had kids and they're supposed to live happily ever after. And then come my 10 year anniversary, uh, sorry, my 10 year reunion, high school reunion, they were all divorced. I'm thinking, what happened to that fairy tale? Is it real? Does it even exist? Now I, I'm, I still am an advocate for love and I'm hoping to find my, my person one day. But if I don't, I sure am having a good time just meeting all kinds of people, dating, whether I'm helping them out financially, I'm bribing them to go out with me. If I don't have a connection with that person, it was, it's, that's where it ends. Like, we'll maybe have a few drinks and nice meeting you. Good luck, you know. But th there's plenty of people I'm like, wow, you have a really interesting story or background or I love your motivation, your drive. Let's get together again and, and, and talk. Will you talk about how you come up with the arrangements, like the boundaries, what you're interested in, what they're interested in, what, what you know you can agree on, or what might be a deal breaker? How do you figure out how this is all going to go? Every person is so unique, and every person has different wants and needs. I have found that it lies on a scale, and some people are looking strictly for love, and they just want to date an older, successful person. And then some people are really are in it just for the money. Like they could care less about you or anything. They've got to pay that rent that month. And there's everything in between. So you kind of got to figure out what your comfort zone is, what you're looking for and find somebody that's kind of in that zone that you like. And if they're on the fringes, then it may not work for you. But at that point, you kind of discuss their needs and their wants and what their availability is. And that kind of determines your, you maybe your allowance or your budget, you know, that, that you can help them with my monthly budget that I allocate towards a relationship is about three to 5,000. There's many people that want more than that. Some, you know, Hey, I'm just looking for, you know, a few hundred once a week or once every week, just to help my, my, my utility payment or something like that. Right. So it's very personal and very unique for everyone. Do you have an actual written down contract or is it a conversation that you just keep having and updating and communicating? No, it's not written. I have met people that are in contractual relationships where if you will, and our, actually my co-host Lily was offered two and a half million dollars by a gentleman. If she would live with him for five years and She'd also be awarded a condo free of charge to own and live in after the, the five years, along with two and a half million dollars. And if she agreed to that, he said he would march her right down to the lawyer's office and they'd drop a contract right then and have him draw a contract to do that. She turned him down. She just was not attracted to him and she just couldn't see herself living with this gentleman for five years. And, and we and we laugh about it too. It's like, okay, Lily, at what price would you have actually considered it? It was if it was a hundred million dollars. Now, are you thinking a little differently? Does everyone have a price? I don't know. <laughs> I love thinking about that. I love thinking uh, there is a price. I want to say there is a price for everything, and I know that's not true. <laughs> I'm not a parent, but I understand that kids are usually not. You can't. You can't do that. It doesn't work. But there is an it is an interesting thought process. What would that dollar amount be? 
right? Who knows? At some point, there's going to be an amount put on the table that you go, hmm, okay, now wait a minute. <laughs> an amount and conditions. Let, that... <laughs> let me think about this. But uh, yeah, so everyone's you know unique and different and what they want. Uh, how many sugar babies do you have currently? I juggle a two to three usually. But the nice thing is, is that it's, it's almost a, a don't ask, don't tell with the other sugar babies, or we're very, very open about it, but mostly we just don't talk about it, but they know, I mean, I still see them on the site. They still see me active on the site, but we certainly have our favorites. I, I, I like to compare it to ice cream a lot because I owned an ice cream parlor and you may have heard the analogy, but I think one of my favorite ice creams was uh mint chocolate chip or Same. mint chocolate, right? Same. Oh, I love that one, but I don't want to eat that every day. <laughs> every now and then cookie dough is nice, but I certainly don't want cookie dough every day. <laughs> I, I, I tell you, I'm having more fun now that I'm, that I'm in my fifties than I've ever had. And I feel more in love with life than I ever have. And I think it's because I, I have just, I've done the work and I still, I continue to do the work. We're never fully knowledgeable about everything. And not only do I learn from my peers, I also learned from the sugar babies. They have so much to offer. And I always thought, is dating 20 to 30 years younger? Is that just not a good thing for me? Or am I robbing the cradle? But I've found that so many young people have so much to offer. You would just, you would never really gain this knowledge or understanding of life if you didn't even meet that person. They just know different things and they've had different experiences than you. And a lot of them are sponges. They're just eager to learn and they're excited about life and excited about the future and the opportunity. And you're kind of like, oh, you have no idea what you're in for. <laughs> <laughs> what I've seen over the last 40 years. Oh my God. Now you had alluded before that there was a part of you that did yearn for meeting your person, right? Yeah. Do you see being a sugar daddy something that you'll be doing for the rest of your life or until you find your person or something else? I guess that question is yet to be answered um, and only time will tell. But I have met some just amazing people who have potential to be long-term partners and possibly even more than that. So I don't know. We'll see, but I don't think I could ever go back to traditional dating. First of all, it's hard for me to find a date. I don't have time, first of all, to do it. And it's just not my comfort zone. So I do enjoy the online aspect of it because here's pictures and profiles of people that are eager and willing to meet you. Now, if it's a traditional site and I've got a swipe, that's very difficult for me. But hey, <laughs> there's a little financial component involved in this. And that now they're a lot more eager to message you and uh, respond to your messages. And you all know where each other stands. It's a very open and honest relationship. And I did this social experiment. I had a birthday in March and I bought a suite for a, a, a Dua Lipa concert pop star, right? She came to Phoenix and I, it was a 22 person suite. And I invited my current sugar babies, my past sugar babies and people associated with the show that we've interviewed. And, and I wanted to see what kind of reaction they would have to each other when they all got in the suite. And it was the biggest love fest I've ever been around. They, they started trading numbers and they just got close and they really enjoyed because everybody's in the same the lifestyle and they didn't have to hide this from their parents or hide this from their friends that they were sugar dating because we were all sugar dating and we didn't, now we could just be open and honest and loving. And some of those girls now are just best friends and they'd never met before that night. Marcus, thank you very, very much for talking to me. Well, it was a pleasure. After the break, meet one woman who cracked the sugar code. It's like when somebody gives you something, it feels good, right? It's like if you eat a piece of chocolate, it's just like, oh my God, this guy is just adoring me and spoiling me. And it's like all these endorphins come out. I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Be right back. 
You're listening to the new investigative reporting podcast in absentia, which means you're interested in getting to the facts and uncovering the truth. If you'd like to help us continue our investigative work, consider making a donation. Visit ctpublic.org slash tap support and contribute today. That's ctpublic.org slash TAP support. Thank you for being a part of the Accountability Project. If you've never donated to this station before, that's okay. Public radio is available to everyone for free. But we do rely on listener support from those who are able to give. So join the community of supporters for Public Media Giving Days. And thanks. Give now at ctpublic.org slash donate. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf, and this is Taylor B. Jones. I mean, the moment I heard that you can date with a purpose, I was sold. <laughs> Why would anyone want to date any other way? Knowing that there was a way to be a more effective sugar baby, she spent years experimenting with the best ways, psychologically and tactically, to attract men who have very high net worth. She's the author of The Sugar Daddy Formula, a sugar baby's ultimate guide to finding a wealthy sugar daddy, and she's the host of the Sugar Daddy Formula podcast. And when I say she cracked the code, I mean, among the men she's had relationships with, she attracted a platonic sugar daddy who provided over $100,000 and placement in his will. Taylor, how? Oh my goodness. It's one of those things that until you start doing something, you don't know what the reality can be like. It's like it can be wishful thinking until it happens. My platonic, which is rich. I know it sounds so weird, right? He's rich, rich, but Richard. <laughs> he was in a position that he had it, you know? So it's like my perception of money, dealing with someone who has it, our worlds look totally different. If I didn't take the time to get to know him, I wouldn't have been in a position where I am right now. So it was just like I was able to mirror myself through his eyes so he can see a version of the experience that I was looking to have. I'm an entrepreneur. He's an entrepreneur, you know, and he golf, you know, I golf. So it was a lot of different other things that we had in common and it just worked. Okay. So I know the answer to this question is yes, but can we talk about sex? Of course. Okay. <laughs> I like it, and I'm not a virgin. <laughs> so here's, do you ever have a sexual relationship with a sugar daddy, and you are not in any way, shape, or form attracted to them? Yes, but <laughs> there was a book, that, what is it? It was like sharpen your heels <laughs> and it was just talking about networking. And then it said something about like, pick something out that you like about a person. Right. And then that can become desirable. It's like, if I just meet you, seeing you, I'm like, just looking at you. I'm like, Ooh, you can get it. Me? You're talking about talking me? About you. I can get it. Yes. 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 Thank you. So it's like, there's just things that are like, you're naturally attracted to someone, but it's, in that sweet spot of getting to know that person. So initially I might be like, um, oh no, but then with women, you know how we are, you can seduce us mentally and then that's a turn on. So it's like, I find something that I like about a person, but yes, I have um, been in situations where it's just like, okay, hmm, what is he giving me? And then he's looking for this. I can weigh my odds and be okay with it. I'm about to turn 42. I was born in 1980. So I say that to give like a reference to the culture and times that I grew up in. And it's like a lot of people grew up in, you know, you seek one person, and that's your one person and you get married. And then I did that. <laughs> and marriage ended. Um, and so I know, oh, yeah, the fantasy. It, I, I know it's not always like that. 
I don't feel naive for the most part, but I feel programmed to be seeking that kind of love that you hear about in love songs and in movies and stuff. You know, the one person and it's your partner and you're loyal and honest and you're in it for the love and nothing else for rich or poor, etc. And so for me, like that's, that's what I want. And so I know that's not what everyone else wants, but the block in me is like, I keep thinking, well, you know, Taylor, when you meet somebody who you fall in love with and has all these other qualities and you feel supported and can also support them, like I'm projecting my wants onto you and it's not fair and it's not right. Do you feel like those common wants that I inhabit are things you're up against either from the outside in and or from the inside out. Do you ever feel like, what am I doing here? Or is that me projecting onto you? Uh, no, it was ingrained into me. It's like, oh, go to college, meet a guy, have a nice family and all those things. But it felt as though I was doing everything for everybody else. And it's like, when I go out, do I want to pay? No, that doesn't feel good to me. <laughs> so as I'm out there dating, I'm finding things and learning things about myself, even though my family is seeing myself a different way on how I should go down this traditional path. And because they see myself going down this other path, it's hard to I, talk about relationships with them because I'm like, oh, I need a guy with money. <laughs> you know, and it's not just all about, oh, just anyone who has money. It's more than that. But hey, look, it's part of it, you know, because it's like if I see myself wanting to travel and do all these things and you're not living that lifestyle either or you're not working towards that, then I'm going to be settling. And I don't want anyone to settle. So it's just like just own your values from within the relationship. And that's why I say a provider type when it comes to the sugaring, sort of speak. It's just about having someone provide, having someone support you. And it's almost in a way like an aphrodisiac. <laughs> it's like when somebody gives you something, it feels good, right? Just like if you eat a piece of chocolate, it's just like, oh my God, this guy is just adoring me and spoiling me. And it's like all these endorphins come out. Now's a good time to ask, you know, let's say there stops being a market for award-winning, boundary-pushing, high-intensity, humanizing public radio shows, and I'm out of a job, and I'm feeling good about the idea of putting an ad out on one of those dating platforms for sugar relationships. So what sort of things would I put in that ad that would get a person with super high net worth to click through and try to connect with me? What ways would I make a really awesome ad? You focus on that individual. But you're focusing on your experiences that you're looking to have and you're, you're mirroring yourself and you're seeing it about yourself, right? So a lot of profiles, and I come across a lot of profiles, it's always me focused. It's like, I want, I'm looking for this. Don't contact me if you're about this or that. Before, I used to be like, oh, you know, whatever you're looking for type of thing. I was putting them on a pedestal. So I craft ads where it's like, okay, I'm having that conversation in his head and I'm talking about the experiences that he can look, look forward to, like the retired guy, companionship. I'm not saying, hey, if you're lonely or missing a companion, I'm going to say it about myself. So when he reads it, he's like, oh, wow, she gets me. And then I need to think about things that is true to me because I want it to be true to you and myself. It's just like, okay, hey, I'm busy. And then the guy that I'm looking for, he's busy because I don't want all his time. I'm going to say, hey, I'm busy too. And then let's just, you know, find time that we can look forward to together. And then I might actually say different things and activities that I can think he can get excited about. Or at least he can think about, oh, wow, that sounds amazing. I need that in my life. That's what I want my profile to do because it's going to make my conversations easier because I can extract the conversations, refer back to it, and then position myself better for when I make my ads. If you had $100 million, doesn't even matter how you got it. So you don't need sugar daddies. Would you still want to be in the sugar lifestyle? 
all men are sugar daddies in my book. (laughs) They are. And I'm going to tell you why. (laughs) Because for a woman, even if she's not at a certain level where she's dating millionaires, if a guy is treating her to like going to that local restaurant and she's happy, that's all what it's all about. So you would still want to be treated like a sugar baby. Yes. I want to be spoiled. I want him to adore me. I want all those things, even if I have it. And it's interesting because I've had clients who make great money and they got tired of always coming out of their pocket for their partners because they weren't on the same level. And for them, this lifestyle was to be treated spoiled. So yeah, it's like, I'm in our sugar daddies. It's just a level in terms of what they're going to do for you based on where they are. And that makes me think about the the so-called five love languages, right? There's words of affirmation, quality time, physical touch, acts of service, and receiving gifts. And I have not been in a sugar relationship. I wouldn't rule it out, although my prospects are limited considering the whole, <laughs> there's not a lot of female sugar. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, Well, okay. Okay, yeah, okay now, now you have me curious. It's like, let's just say you're not even thinking about a sugar type of relationship, right? Because if we take away all the labels, what is it that we're doing? We're attracting someone who's in a position. We're communicating our needs. That's what we're doing. And we're being open about our desires and wants, right? So it's like my love language is I like to receive. I like someone to shower me and all those things. That's part of my love language. This is like what feels good to me. And that takes owning it. So let me ask you this. Okay, so within a relationship, what do you value? Time. Okay. Affection. Okay. Words are very important to me. Communication is top notch. Gifts are um, exciting because it makes me think that they thought of me and I didn't have to remind them to think of me, which is revealing, I I recognize. Um, So those are the things that really excite me. So if we look at time, is it just time to do things like, hey, it's a Wednesday, let's just go out somewhere and then just just not have to focus on work. Mm -hmm. So it would take someone to be in a certain situation so that bills are still paid and that they can do that. So now we're looking at someone who's living a certain lifestyle. Right. Same mm-hmm. thing for a woman with guy with money. You right. know, can't get five grand with a guy who's making 50K. <laughs> you know, so it's like, OK, we're putting them together. But then it's like someone to shower you a gift. What does that look like? Now I'm asking you, what does that look like? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like if you see a nice pair of earrings you think I might like or you found something at the grocery store, you know, I'd love to eat. An onion. I love onions. So just bring me the most beautiful onion and my heart is yours. So let's just look at that. And then this lifestyle, because for someone to know that you're going to have to train them on how to treat you. This is what we're doing. Well, this is what I do. (laughs) It's like I'm teaching someone how to treat me. If a person doesn't know that, hey, one of my love languages to be provided for They're not going to know. And then I can get upset because I'm like, hey, well, I went to the register and you were standing right there. How come you didn't pay for it? And I can get upset, right? But I just didn't let him know. He can be thinking like everything's fine. So now it's just about a communication aspect and that. So we're just looking for a higher caliber of man, right? And then communicating. And like I like to say, it's just training the eye. So Taylor B. Jones, are you suggesting that the sugar lifestyle isn't really that different than the lifestyle that maybe you and I both grew up thinking we would grow into? That it's all at the end of the day, what we're both after and what we're we're both doing as we date and meet people and interact isn't so different? It's not so different. It's just being owning it. I find that within this lifestyle, there is an honesty about it because when it comes to relationships and getting to know someone, we put up this facade at the beginning where it's like, I want you to like me and stuff like that. And representative. 
Yes. And you don't want to tell this person that you got fetishes. It'll make them like run the other way. So then because you can't openly communicate that, then they start seeking other options. So it's like, hey, let me put it out over here. It feels separate from my traditional life because I can go over here and get it. But if we can just be open with what we want, we can actually find our partners out there. But we still got a long way to go before we get to there, to that point. Currently, today, as you and I speak, do you feel fulfilled? Yeah, I do. But I still have so much stuff to do. I need to save women out here (laughs) to like embrace their inner sugar there's like power in that and i'm like what is the point of being a woman if we're not using it to our advantage (sighs) well taylor b jones thank you so much for talking with me oh this was so much fun audacious is always lovingly produced by me jessica severin de martinez and katie talarski at Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford. Subscribe to the show, and you'll always get to hear it the day before everyone else does on the radio. Plus, you can listen back to other audacious love episodes like what it's like committing to your best friend in a platonic life partnership, how dating a synthetic person can be an act of self-love, what it feels like when you bring your spirit spouse to Walmart, and while you're at it, come spoon with me at a 25-person strong cuddle party. You can hear them all at ctpublic.org slash audacious or wherever you get your podcasts. Send me your reactions and show ideas and love letters on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Wolf, or you can send an email to audacious at ctpublic.org. Thanks for listening. Take my advice. 